Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Turn in your smartphones, your iPads, whatever you use. I encourage you to follow along, take some notes. I think it's going to be good. And as you're turning there, Malachi chapter 1, I wanted to make you aware of an opportunity that we have. And let me give you some backstory real quick. So tell your story, make a request, then we'll get into the Word. When Angie and I were a youth pastor in Gloucester, immediately we were introduced and became very close to a particular family in the church that had just went through a very, very messy divorce, very, uh, just, just very messy. The, the mom had two daughters. They were kind of kicked out, left on their own. And so over the next several years, those daughters almost became like our daughter to a degree. We invested in them. We loved in them. They would stay at our home on many occasions. And, and one, of the little, one of the young girls, when she was 14, got anorexia. And for the next three years, she really, really struggled, got down to 67 pounds, in and out of the hospital, uh, been in, in and out of treatment centers, lungs, I mean, organs were starting to shut down. It was just a bad deal. When she was 18, we found a home called the Mercy House. And the Mercy House was a group of homes, this particular one was in Kansas City, that dealt with not only the inner stuff, but also the spiritual stuff. So you would go to this home, get discipled, get encouraged, uh, and, and it was for a home with girls with with debilitating addictions, different struggles and issues. Today, that girl is 35 years old. She's healthy. She's married. She loves the Lord. She, she's back at Mercy Home working as a counselor. And so I said that to say this. During that whole process and seeing that whole thing, I said, Lord, if there's ever an opportunity for me or our church that I'm a part of to be involved in helping young girls, girls in general, from difficult, challenging places, I want to do it. I want to be a part. I've seen the power of it. I've seen... Uh, what can happen when a girl really gets away. And so, so, so we, have a part, we have an opportunity right now to partner with a ministry called Grace Home Ministry. Grace Home Ministry is currently in the high schools. What they have done is they've, they, they're fully licensed, fully state-governed, fully approved, state, local, federal. They've got everything they need. And that was one of our problems. We didn't have the time. The energy are the people to make go through those loops and those holes and jump through those hoops and make it happen. So Grace Home has already done all of that. Right now they're ministering the girls. The school counselor will call and say, hey, we got this pregnant girl. Uh, she wants to connect with you. We connect them to a mentor. If that's, lady, something you want to be involved in, mentor a young girl that's just found herself to be pregnant. There's a curriculum. There's a process. They walk through it. And so it's been going well. The calls continue to increase. The next step is to provide a home. There are some girls that are coming from very difficult, challenging places that if it weren't for a home, they're going to give up their baby. And I know we talk about trying to, to, to uh, sign legislation to get abortion overturned, and, and we, we want to pick it and we want to shout. Here is a very practical way to tell the world and speak to a young girl's life that you matter and your place for you over the next year or so where you can give birth, where you can get established, where you can be connected, and where you're not left on your own. And so Clover Hill and Grace Home are partnering together. Grace Home is a ministry of Clover Hill Assembly of God. And we have right now an opportunity to buy a home. We need a home that's about 4,000 square feet. It's uh, for four girls and their babies and the parents that live there. It needs to be on an acre plus lot. It needs three bathrooms, five bedrooms. So there's some specifics. The price range we've found is right around 350 350 to 4 425 is the price we have saved we have in cash because of your generosity and faithfulness we have uh two hundred thousand dollars we can put towards it right now this is what told you the story told you the opportunity here's the ask 
on December 13th, we're going to take up a special offering for this particular ministry. I just figured it out in my mind, and I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, but I did figure this out. If everybody gave, if our giving units, everybody that gives, if they gave $225, and I know some aren't going to give that, and some are going to have to give more than that, but if we gave, we could do $150,000 in one offering with no problem. So here, it's year in giving. Here's, here's the request. Over the next month, four weeks, will you begin to pray about what God might have you to give? I want you to bring him your best. I want you to, I want you to give to God. It's a great, 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 great opportunity. And I don't know how long this door is going to be open. I don't know how long the opportunity is going to be there. So let's seize the opportunity. Let's make the most of this. Let's let our community know we care about the unborn. We care about young ladies. Let's, let, let's break the cycle in Jesus' name. Let, let's do something for the glory of God. Amen, everybody? Amen. That's good. So December 13th will be that, that special day. Pray, think, go through it. Here, here's today's sermon. We're in the book of Malachi. Again, take notes, follow along, read your word. Malachi chapter 1. Here, here the, just some backstory, background. The Israelites are God's people. Remember, he chose them. Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing. I'm going to use you. I'm going to work through you. Here's what I want. Here's what I want, Israel. I want us to be so close. I want us to be so tight. I want to provide for you and protect for you and come alongside of you. I want our relationship to be such that a watching world sees it and they want what we have. They want what we got. I want everybody to come to know me because of our relationship. And now that relationship has been passed on to the church. Now the church, we are the Israel in the New Testament. We are chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a people belonging to God. God's hope, Jesus' hope for us is that we will walk in such a relationship with him that the world outside will observe and say, I want that. I got to have that. And so that's the message of Malachi. That's the backstory. That's where we're at. That's where they're at. But Israel is in a very bad place spiritually when the prophet speaks to them. It's a burden from the Lord. It's a God has a heavy heart for his people, and so when he has a heavy heart, he often passes it along to his messenger, and his messenger is burdened with this Lord. And it begins, the whole context, the whole backdrop of this letter is, I have loved you deeply. And when you study that, it just doesn't mean I love you now, but I've loved you in the past. I've provided for you. I've shown you. It, even if you go back to Deuteronomy, it says, Israel, remember when I called you the apple of my eye? You know what that means? It means... It says, you're the pupil of my eye. Literally, you're the pupil of my eye. The pupil is what protects so you can see. What God is saying to the Israelites, you know what? When somebody messes with you, it's like me getting poked in the eye. That, that's, it's going to irritate me, and I'm going to respond. I'm going to work on your behalf. I've loved you. I do love you, and I always will love you. I don't care if you're faithful or unfaithful. If you obey or disobey, my love is un everlasting, and, and, it, and it's eternal, and I'm going to love you. I love you. And this is so important that we get a revelation of this. If we, if we don't understand the love of God, because that, that's what the love of God should propel us to obey him. The love of God should motivate us to serve him. And when we don't get a fresh revelation of the love of God, I'll tell you the first step. It's the first step of rebellion. Look at Adam and Eve. Why did they rebel? God, you don't love us. If you loved us, you wouldn't have taken, you wouldn't have withheld from us. God, you, you don't, this was the Israelites' problem. God, you don't love us. If you loved us, why is everything going bad? Why, why are our finances in a mess? What, what, and they weren't willing to look inward and figure that they were part of the problem. They were just blaming God. God, you're the reason. 
We got to understand this love issue. I remember when Zach was playing, been playing basketball all his life, but when he was younger, we were in a game and, and the gym was somewhat full and, and, and they made a, somebody, the other team made a pass and he stuck out his arm and all I heard was this shrieking yell. And he grabbed his arm and he bent down and he was up against the wall. And I thought, oh, man, that little sissy's got a little jam finger. Suck it up, man. You're a grand. What do, you, what do you get back in the game? Quit acting like a baby. And when he turned around to face the crowd, he's up against the wall. So it's just like this. He turns around and his elbow is slid up halfway up his shoulder. Yeah, nasty. Just the whole air got sucked out the gym. That, I mean, that's what everybody, remember Redskins fans? Remember Joe Theismann when that leg got, it was like one of those things. And they called an ambulance. I was so mad they called an ambulance because my insurance didn't cover ambulance. And I was like, man, I could have got him there and saved some money. I can't believe you called an ambulance for just a dis. And so anyway, get him to the hospital. And he's in the room, this room, 15 by 10. Angie, I'm not, this is honest truth. What it, not that I need to tell you that because I don't ever tell you a story. But I just want to make sure you're getting this elbow right up here. And they give him medicine not to knock him out. They don't want him to be unconscious, but they don't ever want him to remember. So they gave him a particular drug to make sure he never remembers. So he's screaming at the top of his lungs. There's four nurses in there. There's a couple doctors in there. They're trying to, a couple doctors came in, couldn't do it. They call in another doctor. He's just yelling. He's beside himself. All I'm doing is standing over. I'm just, all I can do is stand in the corner and watch him. And he's looking at me like I'm the devil incarnate. I mean, he's thinking, Dad, why don't you do something? Why are you letting them put me through this? What's happening? And, and then eventually they get the nurses in. They, they get on top of him. He don't weigh 100 pounds at that time. They get on top of him, and this doctor goes, one, two, three. And all I hear is this loud snap, and you hear Zach. So, I mean, the whole town, I'm sure, heard him. He yelled at the top of his lungs, and his elbow slid back in place. And, you know, the whole time after it was done, he, he was just thinking, Dad, why didn't you do something? And, and, you know, at that point, I really can't do anything. I am doing something. I'm letting them doctors work on him because I don't want his elbow up in his shoulder for the rest of his life. I want that thing to be in place. So what looks like a lack of love and a lack of commitment and a lack of action is really a, a, an act that said, hey, you got to go through this so you can be the person, so you can be whole and complete. That's a lot of times the way it is with God. And when we go through pain or trial or heartache, heartache we get mad at God. We get upset. God, where are you? You've left me. And in essence, he's just saying, no, I've not left you. This is an act of love. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I want you to develop. The Israelites would not get that nor understand that. And so their whole idea is, uh, we don't even need to serve you, God. The other nations are doing just as well. We'll just turn from you. And here's, here's their response. Oh, you love us? Really? Really, God? I want you to hear the attitude. Just don't read it. I mean, listen to it. Pretend your teenager is saying it. Really? How have you loved us? It's like there's been times where I've had to tell my boys, boy, if you disrespect your mom one more time, I'm going to slap you in the next week. You, you've had to say, I mean, maybe you didn't say slap in the next week, but, but you were thinking that. Why are you looking at me like that? I didn't hit them yet. And, and I'm, just, I'm just mad. And you know what? The worst response they can give me, Dad, what do you mean? What do you mean we're disrespecting our mom? I mean, it's just, ah, I just want to. And that's their response. Really, God? It sure doesn't look like you love us. It sure doesn't, it sure doesn't feel like you love us. And, then, and here's how it manifests. Here, hard word, oracle, burden. I want you to understand that. Context of love. I love you. I want what's best for you. 
Malachi said it. I'm saying it to you as your pastor. But I got a burden from the Lord, and I got to share it with you. And here's, here's the whole summary of, of the book of Malachi. If you were to just put it down to one verse, every other thing around centers around this verse. The other verses are just application of this. Here's it goes. A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. Now, they would know that. They would understand that, look, in the Old Testament, you dishonored your father. You didn't get a little slap. You didn't get your phone taken away. You got stoned. And I don't mean stoned. I mean stoned with like rocks and pebbles. And I mean, you got hurt. It was not a pleasant thing. You honored your father. You understood that. And a servant respects his master. I'm your father. This is what God's saying. I'm your father. You know what the word father means? It means I have affection for you. Father equals affection. I I have this affection for you, this deep love for you. If I'm your father and if I'm your master, you know what master means? Authority. Hey, you say I'm your king. You say I'm your Lord. You say you've surrendered full authority of your life to me. But if I'm your father and your master, where is the honor and the respect I deserve? You, 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 you've, you've, you know what honor means? It means to value or to esteem or to hot, hold in high regard, precious, weighty, to appreciate, to respect, to show worth. The opposite is dishonor, to take lightly, to treat as common, ordinary, or menial. My heart is heavy. I'm grieved. I love you dearly. But, and I've shown you my love, God said. I've expressed it. But there's a lack of reverence. There's a lack of fear. There's a lack of respect. There's a lack of honor. And here's the response. I want you to listen through the ears of your teenager. How have we despised your name? I mean, here's the God in heaven, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful God, telling them they've disregarded and been unfaithful. And their response, how, God? That's kind of their attitude. What do you mean we've dishonored your name? And so he goes in the next several verses, and he tells them, You've dishonored my name because you've despised my name. And when he says despise my name, you know, you know what that means? It means you've come against my character. This thing's bigger than just me and you. I've I, 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 I rescued you. I've saved you. I've delivered you. I've redeemed you so that we could have this relationship. And because you're not fulfilling your part of the deal, my name is being mocked. My name is... is is, is a, it's a has-been. It doesn't mean anything to the world. You've despised my name by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Big deal. Because let me give you a backstory again, Leviticus 22. Do not bring, this is what they knew. Do not bring an animal with physical defect because it won't be accepted on your behalf. An animal that is blind, injured, mutilated, or that has a growth, open sore scab must never be offered to the Lord. Here's what God is saying. I'm better than your seconds. I'm better than your leftovers. I'm God. You're my people. I want your best. I want you bringing something to me half-heartedly. I don't, I, and, here, and here's their response. They knew this, yet they were bringing blind, lame, and beat-up sacrifices. Just, they're just out of just this disrespect. Why, what does it even matter, God? What, what's the big deal? What, what is, what, 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 who, even, who even cares? We're, we're just going to do our own thing. Here, here's, here's, what I, here's what I know now. And this is even what he said in verse 10. I wish that someone among you would shut the temple doors. I don't want your half stuff. 
I don't want your half-heartedness. I don't want your half-baked attitude. I don't want your mutilated and lame sacrifice. I don't want it. In fact, it'd be just shut the door of the temple because so, I'm not even going to accept those worthless sacrifices. He, again, he's saying I'm better than that. You're better than that. Your, your lukewarmness is nauseating me. And so how do we apply this to our life? Just sacrifice. We don't bring bulls and goats and sacrifices anymore. But we do bring something to the Lord. Remember, heavy word, but in the context of love this morning. We bring our tithes and offerings. We'll see that in Malachi chapter 3. I'll talk about more about that in a few weeks. And here's the reality. I, I do not push back or I'm afraid or get scared about talking about money. I have no problem talking about money because this is what I know. Money is the chief competitor for your heart. And no bones about it. Because I want what's best for you. If I was just trying to, to fill coffers or to do better for me, I, I might be a little timid about it. But I want what's best for you. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I want all that God has for you. And so Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You'll be devoted to the one and love the other or, you'll, or, or hate the other. You, you can't serve both God and mammon. And so God says, hey, let me break the spirit of greed over your life. Let me break the power of materialism. Let me defeat that one thing that wants devotion in your heart more than anything else, and we'll do it this way. Return the first 10% to me. Bring me the first 10%. That'll, get, that'll, break the, that'll break that power. That will show a partnership. That will reveal a relationship. That bring the, the Proverbs writer said, bring the first fruits of all your wealth. Bring it to the house of the Lord. Honor me with this, Jesus said. Yet this is a struggle for so many of us. Tithing is such a, it's, it's, it's hard. And when Angie and I first got married 23 years ago, we, we didn't have anything. I mean, we were, we were just broke. We, we lived in an apartment where you didn't have to get out of bed to get something out of the refrigerator. I'm not lying. I mean, oh, you want a Coke? Here. Here you go, right here. I mean, it's like, you didn't have to move. You, it was a bed and a fridge, and that's about it. We made a commitment in them early years, those broke years. We're not going to fear. We're not going to respect anything greater than we respect God. We're our first check because I know that the one number one uh, thing that wants my heart is money. I'm going to break its power right out the gate. I'm going to give my first 10 percent. I'm going to bring my missions. I'm going to bring my offerings. And you know what God has done over the last 23 years? He has proven himself faithful. We've never went without. I have tested him in this, and he has rebuked the hand of the devourer on our behalf. I am a testimony of God's goodness, but there are so many that say, oh, I can't do it. I won't do it. You know what it is? Here, here, here's what it is. If I'm your father, where's my honor? It's a lack of honor. If I'm your master, oh, you say I'm your authority? You say I'm in charge of your life? Then where's the respect due my name? But we don't bring bulls anymore, but we do bring something. So I wonder what God thinks. Look, hard word in the context of love. You hear me? I wonder what God thinks when we kick service off at 11 o'clock and there's about 50 people in here. People wandering in the foyer, people still in the parking lot. Still at Wawa getting their cup coffee. Coming in here. Then forget the fact how distracting and disruptive it could be to other people. Forget that. But what does God think? I mean, I mean, is that your boss calls a meeting at eleven o'clock and you're gonna roll up in there twenty minutes late? 
But but we but we think, oh, just just God. And you say, well, at least, and this is what some of you are saying right now. Well, at least I showed up. Yeah, and that's okay if God's menial and minimal, and He's just some some statue in some building. But He's Jehovah God. He's Almighty King. If I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, where's the respect due my name? Some, some people say, well, I just won't come then. You know what? That's what they were saying. That's what the people in Malachi were saying. I just ain't going to come. Now, you know what the issue is? We've lost respect, and we've lost fear. I wish we could create a culture at Clover Hill where we came early and sat up close. Not because we like the music. Not because we so enjoyed the word, but because we came to meet with God. Because we wanted to hear from him and let him know that you're the most important, the most precious, the most, the greatest thing in my life. And I'm going to prove it to you with my actions. If you are my father, where is the honor due my name? Look, hard word in the context of love. Hear me, I'm just, I mean, it's a burden of the Lord. I wonder why in America we're not experiencing the revivals and the move of God if it has anything to do with our lack of reverence and respect and fear. I wonder if it has something to do with our casualness and our complacency and our matter-of-fact attitude. Who cares? Just a service. I don't even like the worship. What? It's not about the worship. It's about Him. And when you honor something and when you respect something, you show them the respect that you deserve. You say, Pastor, why are you on this soapbox so you can fill up quicker? No, I want what's best for you. This is, it manifests a lack of, you look at your teenagers, it, it all, it manifests in disrespect. It does. Well, it's just singing. It's just worship. In the Old Testament, again, they brought sacrifices, bulls, goats, birds, animals. Listen to what Hebrew says. Because you got to, you got to read the Old Testament in the light and the filter of the New Testament. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice. Sacrifice of what? Of a bull or a goat? No, no, a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that bless his name. God says, I, I want praise. The Bible talks about praise. The Bible commands us that if we are believers, if we are followers, if God is our father and he is our master, if he has our affection and if he has our, if we're under his authority, we will praise him. Psalms 150, praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the trumpet and the harp and the guitar. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the drums. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Psalms 100, shout to the Lord all the earth and worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that he's God and that we are his, that he made us and we are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness is shown throughout all generations. And here's, here's what I know about praise. It's manifested and reflected in our personality and our culture. This is what I mean. I'm not telling you to yell, shout, holler. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying rhythmic people, well, you, you guys are going to clap on beat. Us that are rhythmically challenged are just going to try to keep up. If you ever see one of our worship leaders looking right down there at me and going, that's because I'm all off beat and they're trying to keep me on beat. Where is it? Some of you that can sing, praise means it's going to sound like an angel. 
For us that can't sing, it's just going to be a joyful noise. We're going to sing with a smile on our face. That's a joyful noise. Some will be more expressive in their worship. Some will be maybe more reserved. But our personality and our gifting and our culture might dictate our method. But the means of praise has to be verbal. Uncommunicated gratitude is ingratitude. Unverbal praise is is no praise at all. We have a speaking God, and he deserves and wants and desires and even commands that we praise him verbally. May the, the Psalms 149, may the praise of God be on their mouth. May our text, the fruit of their lips, give them praise. If you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Here's what David said, I'll cry aloud to the Lord, and I'll lift my voice to Almighty God. Praise is something we have to do verbally. Listen, you don't bring a bull or a goat or a bird, but you bring something. And he doesn't want it to be halfway and half-hearted. He's better than that. He deserves more than that. It's not enough just to praise him in the secret place of your heart. You say, well, I'm not verbal. I'm not emotional. It has nothing to do with your emotions. It has nothing to do with your personality. It has nothing to do with your ability to sing. It has everything to do with the God of the universe, that he's the creator of all things, that he is the one who filled your lungs with breath, that he's the God whose understanding has no limit and his power has no boundaries and his grace is no respecter of persons who's forgiven all my sins and healed all my diseases and crowned my life with good and compassion, who's blessed me. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about him, and he expects and requires. He has commanded to exalt the Lord is not a suggestion for followers of Christ. If I'm your father, if you have affection towards me, if I'm your master, if you've come under my authority, Where's the fear? Where's the reverence? Where's the respect due my name? The text said, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that bless his name. We like to use this verse to motivate or encourage us to praise. I mean, you've heard Trevor say probably on many instances, hey, I don't know what you've gone through or I don't know what you're going through. But let's just press through. Let's just enter in. Let, let's just bring God a sacrifice of praise. And, you know, that, that's true. Paul and Silas, they were in the middle of that jail cell, and they had every reason not to praise, but they pressed in and pressed through, and, and, and God met them. And, and the Bible says be joyful always and pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. But if we limit this passage as a motivational tool to get us to praise, we minimize the verse and don't get the full meaning of its context. See, when this was written, the writer understood this idea of sacrifice. The reader understood this idea of sacrifice. To them, a sacrifice was not pressing through and worshiping, even though they'd been out too late the night before and they were tired. That's not a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice was not standing longer than you wanted to stand because your legs were tired. It's not a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice was not gracing the Lord with your presence and juggling your busy schedule so you could get fit him in. A sacrifice was not making a little effort to focus on God during a challenging time. A sacrifice in the book of Hebrews was an object. You brought it. It was something you brought to worship. Maybe it was a goat on the end of the rope that you had to pull and drag. Maybe it was a bull that you had to push to get there. And it wasn't one that was lame and limp and, and struggling along. It was the best one. Maybe it was a bird in a cage. And you brought it. And, and here's the deal. You valued the sacrifice. 
I mean, that bull you could have sold for something, a, maybe a good price, fed your family for a month. That goat could have produced cheese and milk for you. But here's what they thought. I love this, but I love you more, God. And so, so I, I look at this and I think of what it could do. But because you can do so much, I bring it. I come joyfully. I come expectantly. I don't give you just half-heartedly, but I give it all to you. Accept it, God. And here was the big deal. If it was offered, it could be rejected. And so they understood this. So they didn't want to bring something that, that wasn't going to experience and get the full approval of God. You, you, you asked me to bring it. You've set it up this way. And so I'll worship you with this sacrifice. I'll worship you with my offering. I'll bring a sacrifice for my sin that it might bless your holy name. Again, we, we don't do that. We, 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 don't, we don't bring bulls and goats. We, we bring our praise. We bring our, our, we bring our celebration and our gratitude and our appreciation. And I, and I just, again, I want to remind you, it, you can't, if, if I'm your father and if I'm your master, he, he's deserving. He's not, he's not some homeless person on the side of the road where you can just throw him some crumbs or some leftovers. God's not blind Barnabas begging on the street corner. God is. He sits on the center of civilization. He has all might and all authority and all power. He's divine and he's holy. He's filled with all truth and righteousness. He's enduringly strong and eternally steadfast. He's unparalleled and unprecedented. He's supreme and preeminent. He's the prince of peace and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is no gods beside him. Therefore, the Hebrews didn't bring their sacrifice casually. I need you to receive this more than I need to even give it. And we, again, we don't bring a bull or a goat, but we bring something. And when we bring our, pra our praise, it's an aroma, it's a fragrance. And when done in an act of worship, when expressed with a heart of gratitude, when communicated verbally and offered in a spirit of adoration, it reaches the throne room of heaven. And it is accepted by Almighty God. It's received as a sacrifice, and it blesses the heart of God. That's why the psalmist said, I will exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Our text, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. I'm not... I'm not I'm not trying to work something up today. That's not my intent, not my motive. I'm not in interested in manipulating your emotions. I'm not concerned if you think I've gone overboard on this praise thing. It's not my job to convince you or make you. It's my job to teach you. And the Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And I don't want to bring some lame sacrifice to a holy God. I don't want to be disrespectful or ungrateful to the Lord and leader of my life. I don't want to bring some leftover offering or some ho-hum blessing. And it really comes down to this. If you are my father, where's the honor? And if you're my master, if I'm your master, where's the respect? I just started thinking, what if? 
What if we really started to honor the Lord and fear the Lord and revere the Lord and respect the Lord? I'm not talking about throw away the affection. It's not one or the other. It's both and. He's our Father. He's affectionate. He's caring. He's loving. You can approach him with grace and confidence and mercy to find strength in time of need. Not about that, but he's also Father. He's also heavenly. He's also Master. So there's a reverence and a respect and an awe. What if we started to live our lives that way? What if, what if we did start to come early and move up close? What if we did start going after God with everything that we had? I wonder what would happen. Well, the Bible says, he who honors me, him will I also honor. There's a residual effect when you begin to worship and praise. We don't do it because, but that's just what happens. That's his nature. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Do you know what happens in the presence of God? There's fullness of joy, there's life eternal, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's, there's, there's grace, there's strength, there's power, there's mercy, there's goodness. I mean, I, I just, what if, what if we really, what, what if we really began to honor God like our Father? And began to respect Him like our Master. Here's, here, I'm with this, if I'm your Father, where's the honor due me? If I'm your master, is he your master? Then where's the respect? Do my name. Amen, everybody.